Chapter Two, Part Two, of Bill the Conqueror by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bill undertakes a mission. Part Two. To the sensitive visitor, alert at noticing atmospheric phenomena, there would have seemed on this April morning something not altogether right about the residence of Mister J. Birdsey Coker, on East Sixty First Street the dwelling-place of the father of alice and judson was tastefully even luxuriously furnished and exhibited outwardly all the earmarks of a refined and wealthy home but over it there seemed to brood a curious awed hush as if a cyclone had recently passed that way or some great sorrow come upon the inmates if bill had not been so immersed in thoughts of alice he might have observed a scared expression in the eyes of the maid who admitted him shortly after half-past twelve but being so immersed it was not until he reached the drawing-room and found himself looking into the lovelier eyes of the mistress of the house that he suspected any calamity uh, good heavens he exclaimed what's the matter alice coker was an amazingly handsome girl she was modelled on rather queenly lines unlike her brother judson who favoured his father's side of the family and looked like an airedale terrier her features were perfect her teeth were perfect her hair was perfect the effect she gave at a first encounter was of flawless beauty but at the moment what any one presented to her would have noticed was not that she was beautiful but that she was worried those who make the nation's songs so much more admirable than its laws advise us to look for the silver lining to seek the bluebird put all your troubles in a great big box and sit on the lid and grin to seek the bluebird to put all our troubles in a great big box and sit on the lid and grin alice coker had been unable to follow this counsel old man trouble that foe of the songwriters had plainly conquered her proud spirit sit down mr west she said formal even in her agitation for many months now this tendency to a cool formality on her part had irked bill with the sisters of most of his other friends he was on terms of easy comradeship but then he had been brought up with them from a child and though he had known judson so long alice had only entered into his life a year ago he did not know all the facts but he gathered that the peace of the coker home had been marred by a good deal of that ex-wife's heart-balm love-tangle stuff at any rate until last march alice had lived in europe with her mother and only on that lady's death had come to new york to keep house for her father and disturb the peace of mind of the male members of the younger set bill sat down registering devotion sympathy and willingness to do all that a red-blooded man may for a beauty in distress it was very good of you to come said alice 
No, no. Oh, no. No, no. No, no. Said Bill. It's about Judson. Judson? Yes, father is simply furious. Not, proceeded the fair-minded Miss Coker, that you can really blame him. Juddy did behave very badly. Bill found himself in something of a dilemma. He wished to agree with every word she spoke, but horrified condemnation of Judson at this point might, he felt, be resented. Besides, he was handicapped in the capacity of censor of morals by not knowing what his convivial friend had been doing to excite the parental wrath to such an extent. He contented himself with making a low, honking noise, like a respectful wild duck. "'Apparently Judson gave a party last night,' said Miss Coker. She sniffed disdainfully. "'A very rowdy party to a lot of impossible girls from the theatres. What pleasure he gets from mixing with such people!' She went on severely. "'I cannot see.' "'No.' said bill virtuously no you are quite right no the trouble with juddy is that he is weak and his friends lead him astray exactly said bill trying to look like one of the friends who didn't well what happened was this resumed miss coker we all went to bed at the usual time and were sound asleep when about four in the morning there was a violent knocking on the front door poor father went down in his slippers and dressing-gown rather cross for he had had a very hard day at the office and was tired and there was judson she paused and a look of pain came into her fine eyes judson she went on in a toneless voice seemed glad to see father when i looked over the banisters he was patting him on the back father asked him what he wanted and judson said that he had lost his lucky pig and thought he might have left it on the piano in the drawing-room the last time he was in the house he came in and hunted about and then returned to his apartment about half an hour later he was on the doorstep again banging the knocker and when father got out of bed and went down judson said he had only come to apologize for disturbing us he said he wouldn't have done it but he had particularly wanted to show the pig to a girl who was at the party he said this girl was one of those domestic girls a little homebody and might be leaving the party any moment now he came in and had another search then he went away again and at half past five he called up on the telephone it's in father's room and begged father to have a look round and see if the pig wasn't in the study she paused again bill made shocked noises naturally father was very much annoyed bill nodded sympathetically he quite saw how this might be you ought to have seen him when he left the office this morning 
bill as he listened to his adored one's word picture of the passing of her parent from the bosom of his family was glad he had not seen him the impression miss coker conveyed to his excited fancy was of something resembling one of those peculiar beasts in the book of revelations on one of its bad mornings j birdsey coker he gathered not infrequently displayed a little tetchiness round about breakfast-time but the oldest inhabitant could recall nothing to approach these latest manifestations the description of how he had behaved when the maid unnerved by his demeanour had dropped the eggs and bacon was alone sufficient to chill the stoutest and the result is concluded alice that he says he has had enough he says he is going to stop judson's allowance and send him to grandmamma's farm in vermont and keep him there till he gets some sense and what i wanted to ask you mr west is this could you fit it in with your plans to take juddy away on a month's fishing trip but you said he was going to vermont yes but i believe that when father has had time to cool down a little he will agree to letting him go on a fishing trip instead provided it is with someone who will look after him and see that he gets nothing to drink it doesn't matter so much where he goes you see so long as he gets away from new york and all these people who cluster round him and lead him astray Juddy, said miss coker a break in her voice is such a dear boy that everybody is attracted to him and that makes it difficult for him to be strong and resist temptation bill hesitated no longer he had been doubtful for a time as to judson's exact standing with his sister but now that it became manifest that not all the dark deeds which the reprobate had performed on the front doorstep in the small hours could shake her divine affection he saw his way clear he embarked forthwith on an eulogy of his late playmate the eloquence of which surprised even himself it was the sort of paean of praise which would have been considered a bit fulsome even by an oriental monarch from the lips of the court poet but its effect on miss coker was remarkable her proud aloofness thawed she melted visibly and presently as bill concluded a stirring passage in which he stressed judson's essential spirituality and came out uncompromisingly as considering him too rare and tender a soul for the rough hurly-burly of modern life as lived in new york city she beamed upon him like the rising sun i knew you were a great friend of his she said with such cordiality that bill twisted his legs round each other and gasped for air that's why i asked you to come here you don't know what it would be like for the poor boy at grandmamma's he would have to get up at seven every morning and there would be family prayers twice a day in solemn silence they peered into this inferno from which she removed the lid prayers faltered bill and hymns on sundays 
said Miss Coker, tight-lipped. It would drive the poor darling off his head, and as far as his health is concerned, a fishing trip would do him just as much good, and he would enjoy it. I know how fond he is of you. I'm sure father will consent, because he likes and trusts you, and could rely on you to keep poor Juddy out of trouble. I don't know how to thank you, Mr. West, but I knew you would not fail me. I am tremendously grateful. There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. It seemed to Bill that the moment of his own flood-tide had arrived. At no time in the past year had so favorable an opportunity for proposing presented itself, and it might be many a long month before such a chance occurred again, for Bill was not one of your glib fellows who can tap the romantic vein at will, and under any conditions. He required something in the nature of a push behind before he could dive though painfully conscious of that sick, empty feeling about the diaphragm which had attacked him on the occasion when he had stepped out with the rest of the Harvard football team into the Yale Bowl four years ago. He braced himself to play the man. Miss Coker, I—I—that is to say, or putting it another way, I wonder, do you think—he paused— he was not sure if he was making his meaning quite clear. He tried again. I know. It isn't as if I quite see. It might happen if you would. <laughs> Still not as lucid as he could have wished. He swallowed twice and approached the subject from a new angle. Look here, he said. Will you marry me? Miss Coker exhibited an unruffled composure. It is to be assumed that this sort of thing had happened to her before. Really, she said, I wasn't expecting this. Nor was Bill. He was still stupefied by the sound of those reckless words, and wondered dazedly how he could ever have had the nerve to allow them to pass his lips. Still, they were out now and the subject definitely placed before the meeting for consideration. He gazed at her dumbly, but hopefully. I can't give you a definite answer now. Uh, no, no, uh, of course not. Suppose you ask me again, when you have brought Jetty back quite well and strong? The assumption that Judson was an invalid in the latest stages of eggshell fragility did not quite square with Bill's recollection of his friend leading the revels on the previous night. But he let it go. It was unimportant. The thing that really mattered was that she had not scornfully rejected his suit and rung the bell for menials to come and throw him into the street. We'll leave it like that, shall we? Yes, said Bill humbly. And when do you think you will be able to start on this fishing trip? asked Miss Coker, who inherited from her father the gift of being able to shelve sentiment in favor of business. At once? Tomorrow, if you like, said the infatuated Bill. He perceived dimly that this new arrangement was going to make it difficult for him to jump right in and assume control of his uncle's pulp paper business. 
but that seemed of slight importance now he basked for a moment in the warmth of the smile which she bestowed upon him and was reminded by that smile of a request which he wished to make for the smile was the same smile which rendered the third photograph from the left on his mantelpiece so rarely beautiful i wonder he stammered i mean would you do you think what i meant what i want to say is you haven't by any chance a, a photograph of yourself you could give a fellow why of course said alice amiably i've been wanting one of you for a long time said bill the library of mr cooley paradine at his house at westbury long island was a room which caused bibliophiles on entering it to run round in ecstatic circles prying and sniffing and uttering short excited whining noises like dogs suddenly plunged into the middle of a hundred entrancing smells its fame one might say was international for articles describing it had appeared in such widely separated periodicals as the atlantic monthly the quarterly review and the mercure de france on each wall were shelves and on each shelf volume after volume of oddly ill-assorted sizes here a massive tome there next to it a squat dwarf of a book yonder a thing that looked like a book but was really a box containing a book the mere sight of these affected those who appreciated that sort of thing like some powerful drug bill not being a bibliophile bore the spectacle with more calm on being shown into the library by roberts who informed him on his arrival at three o'clock that afternoon that mr paradine would be disengaged shortly and desired him to wait he made immediately for the curtained bow-window from which as his previous visits to the house had told him there was a view almost ideally arranged for the contemplation of one in his emotional state beneath the window hung masses of laburnum through which the observer might note and drink in the beauty of noble trees a silver lake and a broad expanse of shady lawn just what a man in love wanted held bill there was but one flaw the broad expanse of shady lawn was he disgustedly perceived marred at the moment by the presence of humanity for which in his exalted condition he was in no mood what he wanted was to contemplate nature and contemplating to muse dreamily upon alice coker he resented the intrusion of an old man with a white beard and a small boy in knickerbockers these two blots on the landscape were strolling up and down the middle of the nearest lawn and they killed the whole beauty of the scene for bill however at this moment they started to move towards the house and presently the laburnum hid them and he was at peace again he gave himself up once more to thoughts of alice his reflections induced a sort of yeasty exhilaration akin to and yet how infinitely purer than that which he had felt after the third of the powerful cocktails so jovially blended yestereen by host judson at his deplorable party of all the amazing things that could have happened that he should actually have cast off the diffidence of months and asked her to marry him 
was surely the most amazing no not quite the most amazing that dizzy niche was undoubtedly reserved for the astounding miracle that she should have received his proposal in so kindly a spirit true she had not actually committed herself to an engagement but what of that she had as good as said that like some knight of old he had merely to perform his allotted task and she would be his what could be fairer than that oh love oh fire his meditations were interrupted by the opening of the door mr jasper daly said the voice of roberts from his post behind the curtains bill heard a testy snort what's the sense of announcing me my good man there's nobody here mr west was here a moment ago sir eh what's he doing here bill came out from his nook hello uncle jasper he said and strove in vain to make his voice cordial after what had passed between conscience and himself that morning the spectacle of mr daly was an affliction the thought that it was even remotely possible that he in any way resembled this wizened greedy-looking little person cut like a knife oh there you are said uncle jasper grumpily looking round with a pale reptilian eye mr paradine is engaged for a moment sir said roberts he will be with you shortly shall i bring you a cocktail sir no said uncle jasper never drink em he turned to bill what you doing here roberts called up this morning to say that uncle cooley wanted to see me eh that's queer i had a telegram yesterday myself saying the same thing yes said bill distantly he turned to look at the bookshelves he was a broad-minded man and hoped that he could make allowance for the lowest of god's creatures but really it was almost indecent that one who had only recently left the golden presence of alice coker should have to endure the society of this old crumb a moment later he had a fresh burden to bear mrs paddedine kirby proclaimed roberts in the doorway the arrival of his cousin evelyn deepened bill's gloom even at the best of times she was hard to bear a stout and voluminous woman in the early forties with eyes like blue poached eggs she had never had the sense to discard the baby talk which had so entertained the young men in her debutante days oh what a lot of great big booful books said cousin evelyn addressing apparently the small fluffy dog which she bore in her arms ickle willy dog must be a good boy and not bite the books and maybe uncle cooley will give him a lovely cakey mr otis paradine and master cooley paradine announced roberts bill now felt drearily resigned to a man compelled to be in the same room with uncle jasper and cousin evelyn the additional discomfort of otis and little cooley was negligible merely registering in his mind the opinion that uncle otis was fatter than ever and that little cooley 
a glistening child who had the appearance of having recently been boiled looked like something that had come out of an egg he turned to the bookshelves again good gad cried uncle jasper staring at the new arrivals is this old home week what are you all doing here coolia and i were specially telegraphed for replied otis with dignity why how perfectly extraordinary said cousin evelyn so was i and he said uncle jasper plainly bewildered jerking a thumb at bill had a phone call this morning what's the idea i wonder coolie a silent child said nothing he stood picking at the leather of an armchair with the nib of a pen agitated at regular intervals by a hiccup which sounded like a diffident man starting to give three cheers for something and losing his confidence after the first hip the rest of the family went into debate on the problem how strange uncle cooley asking us all to come here together like this said cousin evelyn uncle otis glanced about him cautiously and lowered his voice if you ask me he said there's something in the wind my idea is that cooley probably realizes that he's getting pretty old so he's going to make settlements on us all oh do you really really think so exclaimed cousin evelyn rapturously of course he is old isn't he i always say that when a man has passed sixty he's simply waiting for the end i was sixty-two last birthday said uncle otis coldly settlements said uncle jasper thoughtfully he scratched his chin hm not a bad idea save us a lot of money in the inheritance tax bill could endure no more admitting that he was a bloodsucker and conscience had made this fact uncomfortably clear he had at any rate always been grateful for blood received these ghouls seemed to have no decent human affections whatever you people make me sick he snapped wheeling round you ought to be put in a lethal chamber or something always plotting and scheming after poor old uncle cooley's money this unexpected assault from the rear created a certain consternation the idea cried cousin evelyn impudent boy snarled uncle jasper uncle otis tapped the satirical vein oh you've never had a penny from him have you oh dear no said uncle otis bill shot a proud withering glance in his direction you know perfectly well that he gives me an allowance and i'm ashamed now that i ever let him do it when i see you gathering round him like a lot of vultures vultures cousin evelyn drew herself up haughtily i have never been so insulted in my life i withdraw the expression said bill oh well said cousin evelyn mollified i should have said leeches the paradines were never a really united family but they united now in their attack upon this critic 
the library echoed with indignant voices all speaking at once it was only when another voice added itself to the din that quiet was restored it spoke or rather shouted from the doorway and its effect on the brawlers was like that of a police whistle on battlers in a public street shut up bellowed this voice it was a voice out of all proportion to the size of its owner the man standing in the doorway was small and slight he had a red clean-shaven face a noble crop of stiff white hair and he glared at the gathering through rimless pince-nez a typical scene of parodine family life he observed sardonically his appearance was the signal for another united movement on the part of the uncles and cousins after a moment of startled pause they surged joyfully towards him lo cooley glad to see you uncle jasper welcome home cooley uncle otis you dear man how well you look cousin evelyn silence little cooley more silence bill the little man in the doorway seemed unappreciative of this deluge of affection now that he was no longer speaking his mouth had set itself in a grim line and the gaze which he directed at the effusive throng through his rimless glasses might have damped more observant persons the relatives resumed their exuberant greetings i got your telegram cooley said uncle jasper so did i said cousin evelyn and darling ickle willie dog and me both thought it so sweet of you to invite us hope you had a good time cooley said uncle otis lot of ground you've covered eh how did you like japan asked cousin evelyn oh, i always say the japanese are so cute we've missed you cooley said uncle jasper the taciturnity of his offspring in this time of geniality and rejoicing seemed to jar upon otis he dragged little cooley away from the chair on which he was operating greet your dear uncle boy little cooley subjected that dispenser of largesse to the stolid unwinking stare of boyhood hello he said in a loud deep voice and relapsed into a hiccup punctuated silence again uncle jasper took the floor once more could you give me five minutes in private later on cooley he said i've a little matter to discuss i too said otis have a small favor to ask on little cooley's behalf cousin evelyn thrust herself forward give gay big uncle cooley a nice kiss darling she cried extending the fluffy dog with two plump arms in the general direction of the benefactor's face mr paradine's reserve was not proof against this assault take him away he cried backing hastily so he said you aren't satisfied with sponging on me for yourselves started hunting me with dogs eh cousin evelyn's face expressed astonishment and pain sponging uncle cooley mr paradine snorted his glasses fell off in his emotion and he replaced them irritably i don't know if you've taught that dog of yours any tricks evelyn but if he can sit up on his hind legs and beg he's qualified for full and honorable standing in this family 
That's all any of you know how to do. I get back here after two months traveling, and the first thing you all do is hound me for money. Sensation. Uncle Jasper scowled. Uncle Otis blinked. Cousin Evelyn drew herself up with the same hauteur which she had employed a short time before upon Bill. I am sure, she said, hurt. Horrid old money is the last thing I ever think of. Mr. Paradine uttered an unpleasant laugh. Plainly he had come back from his travels in no mood of good will to all. This was a return to what might be called his early manner, that uncomfortable irritability which had made business negotiations with him so trying to the family, in the days before he had been softened and mellowed by the collecting of old books. "'Yes,' he said bitterly, "'the last thing at night and the first thing in the morning. I tell you, I'm sick of you all, sick and tired. You're just a lot of—of—vultures,' prompted Bill helpfully. "'Vultures,' said Mr. Paradine, "'all so friendly and all so broke. "'For years and years you've done nothing but hang on to me "'like a crowd of leeches,' murmured Bill. "'Leeches. "'Leeches,' said Mr. Paradine. "'Ever since I can remember, "'I have been handing out money to you. "'Money, money, money.' and you've absorbed it like so many pieces of blotting paper said bill mr paradine glared at him shut up he thundered all right uncle only trying to help and now resumed mr paradine having disposed of bill i want to tell you i've had enough of it i'm through done finished he eyed Bill dangerously for a moment, as if waiting to see if he had any synonyms to offer. "'I called you together today to make an announcement. I have a little surprise for you all. You are about to acquire a new relative.' The family looked at each other with wild surmise. "'A new relative?' echoed Otis pallidly. "'Don't tell me.' whispered Uncle Jasper in a bedside voice, that you are going to get married? No, said Mr. Paradine, I am not. The relative I refer to is my adopted son, Horace. Come here, Horace. Through the doorway there shuffled a small knickerbockered figure. Horace, said Mr. Paradine, let me present you to the family. The boy stared for a moment in silence. He was a sturdy, square-faced, freckled boy, with short sandy hair and sardonic eyes. His gaze wandered from Uncle Jasper to Uncle Otis, from Little Cooley to Cousin Evelyn, drinking them in. "'Is this the family?' he asked. "'This is the family.' "'Gee, Whistakers! What a bunch of prunes!' said the boy, with deep feeling. End of chapter 2 Part 2